Okay, we're good. We're good. Everything's good. Uh, Dune. Morning Dune. Hi, my name is Jackson McMurray. Wake up with your morning dune. My name is Adeline the Bomb Harbar. Adeline. The Gom Jabar. Yeah, I know. My name is Keisha, your own private Idaho Rose. Okay, good. And this is No Nerds Allowed. This is our last episode of No Nerds Allowed, right? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Until we change the name next few week. Um, and we're really going out with a bang. Really going honestly. out with a bang. Look, uh, uh, you know, now I know why they call it, you know, when you wake up in the morning and there's like, gr- like water, like just a feeling like P. Diddy. Thin, oh, yeah, I was oh. about to say, I do feel like P. Diddy. <laughs> and then there's just a thin sheen of water on the grass. Why they call that morning dune. Now I understand. Good morning, dude. <laughs> What's up, dude? I want to be ejected from this planet. <laughs> so here's a here's a genuine question. So is Do- feeling like P. Diddy a good thing? Or no, is it I bad? Think, not in the morning. I don't know. I don't think in the morning it's good. I feel like that means hungover, right? Yeah, P. Diddy. I don't think P. Diddy has good mornings. I thought so, too. But I realized in this moment I was not sure, A, who P. Diddy was, and two, if it was a good thing that I felt like him in the morning. I think if it's like 11 p.m. and you're feeling like P. Diddy, like, that's a pretty good setup. That's yeah, a good that's place to golden. be. Uh, yeah. But, like, when you wake up as P. Diddy, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. What did I... Who did I kill? I feel I feel like I had a rough <laughs> night last night. Why is there blood all over me? It's also it's yeah, Halloween. It's, listen, well, here's the deal: is that that's not too far fetched. If Biggie Smalls, mm-hmm. what is that the same as P Diddy? Yeah, yeah, P Diddy. Yeah, no. Have you know you not know about that? Or is yeah, like I I don't know. I don't know that much about it. I don't oh I know about Biggie Smalls. I don't know is P. Diddy. Yeah, a part they of think that? that P. Diddy they think they there's like this conspiracy that P. Diddy is the one who like hired someone to kill mm-hmm. him. Oh. Oh, now I Well, but now that makes me think it might have been Kesha. Why was she feeling like P. Diddy? It was definitely Wait, Kesha. Kesha. How old was she when Biggie Smalls <laughs> died? She's like 14. That's like, well, because I was 12 and in Wisconsin <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, so, so hello, everybody. This is a podcast later, so we can't get too hung up on the fact that it's early. Um, but You say that like it's an easy thing. To yeah, do. we have a time limit. <laughs> Like early. a time well, well, we're trying to get in and out quick. TikTok more lately. Anyway, we I have been waiting. I have been ready and waiting for this Dune episode for so long because I'm so amped about Dune. Jackson's very into Dune. I'm very into Dune. She was ten when Biggie Smalls died. Mm, she could have done it. She could have, and she did. She, she yeah, she could have because she did do it. She uh, <laughs> and. So, so Dune. some some news <laughs> fresh off the presses. Here's the thing about about Dune, is that uh, it, the thing about Dune is that like I don't know. I can't help but over and over and over again compare this movie to Fellowship of the Ring in a lot of ways. I think that it is Fellowship of One Ring, the Fellowship of a Ring. Uh, <laughs> that that would be such a worse book title. 
<laughs> the fellowship of a ring. Anyway. Um, the sisterhood of the traveling ring. But. No, it's just a, because be sisterhood of the traveling pant. It, the, <laughs> there's one pant. There's one pant and we all got to share. And we all just learn a little bit along the way. Uh, I think that it's fellowship of the ring because like it's this like big expensive like hyper like very literal adaptation of like this classic literary genre tentpole that has just never quite been like for whatever reason as a society it took us this long to just kind of get around to it you know and like just like Lord of the Rings technology there have been you know some other attempts previously that are not especially well liked or popular and like we're finally getting to a point where like we have the technology we have the resources there's like you know a director who comes along who feels well suited to the material where we can just like do the dang thing and like not only dune is it dune the dang thing do the dang thing yes of course uh and I think that it, like, it, it, like there's a lot of similarities in the sense that it's, like, it's very much, like, the first part in a series, you know? Like, Fellowship of the Ring is the same way. Although, I think the big difference between these two franchises, these two movies, uh, is that uh, Lord of the Rings was an independent production. It, it was, you know, financed by a lot of independent financiers and the New Zealand government and all these things, and it came together. Nerds. On its own, whereas uh, this is a New Zealand government. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I mean, the the New Zealand Film Commission is a sincerely, like, really important, like, cultural force in New Zealand. Uh, No, I was responding to Keisha's nerd comment, not you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, It's funded by nerds. But but this is a Warner Brothers movie. Uh, (laughs) So there's, like, a slight disconnect between those things. But just in general, I just, I can't help but feel like this is, like, the beginning of, like, this like, huge thing that we're just going to see unravel over the next little while. And that's the other big difference, is that they made all the Lord of the Rings movies at the same time, so they came out pretty quickly after each other. But this one, there was no guarantee of it ever getting a sequel. And it wasn't until yesterday that we found out that Warner Brothers officially greenlit the sequel. So, I was about to say, they just put which, part one up there, and yeah. we're like, I know! Oh god, I hope... That's bold. bold. That is a bold move to be like, Dune part one. Part <laughs> one, <saying>. WB. <laughs> just say, you know, if you want to put a little cash in that pocket. You'll look real stupid. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, you said that it, was, it wasn't it was complete? Well, because it wasn't supposed to be complete. Mm. So joke's on you, dumb. Uh, and there were, I was so <laughs> anxious for a little while there. Because Denis Villeneuve, the director of this movie, who, by the way, it seems like a director who is just sort of, like, bred in a laboratory to make the definitive Dune adaptation. Sure. Like. <laughs> Could have been. Why not? Uh, is, Name someone who hasn't been, honestly. He was, yeah. like, so mad about the HBO Max thing. He was, like, doing a lot of very public interviews about how pissed he was that it was coming to HBO Max. And there were rumblings for a while that Denis didn't want to come back and do the second one because his falling out with Warner Brothers was so powerful but luckily it seems like it's all in order it's all been resolved and we could wait sometime in 2023 we'll get dune part two (laughs) 
And I was about to say, j- joke's on you I guys. Just, if it was on HBO Max, I would not have seen it. So, <laughs> Well, like, I don't know. Like, I understand that people are getting mad. Like, the whole Scarlett Johansson thing and, like, blah, blah, blah. But we're still in a pandemic. I know it doesn't feel like it for a lot of people. But, like, in Washington, it feels like it's still. We're still have, like, mask mandates and stuff. And people are getting sick and dying every day. Doing what they're supposed and people, to be doing. A lot of people... Don't feel good about going to the movies still. So, I don't know. I'm sorry to the filmmakers right now. It's still hard. Mm. But at least people can see the yeah. movie, you know? Because people weren't seeing movies for a long time. And some people still don't feel good about going to the movie theaters. So, at least they get to see your stupid movie. Yeah. But it's more, than just, it's more than just about the theatrical <sighs> experience, though. Because basically all Hollywood contracts are built around box office numbers. And yeah, yeah, the yeah. way that yes. that whole thing shook out was that they basically never consulted or got the approval of any major talent involved in these movies. And yeah. the fact that they are putting it in theaters while also releasing it directly on VOD in a way, in a move that is, you know, seemingly the best option for a lot of ways, but objectively mm-hmm. and critically in some cases undercuts the payment that they were you know, told mm, they would yeah. be receiving for this work in a yeah. major way, which I think is really important to Yeah, that's that is shady. That is, that is shady. I was about to say my, that's slim my, shady. My thesis is of course the studios should have reevaluated all those deals and talked to people before they started all <sighs> yeah. the streaming right. stuff. But the streaming stuff was probably the best idea to keep people from rushing theaters and spreading COVID and still allowing people to see new movies and stuff. Like that was the best option. Or, you know, stream it and give them, give them money. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. Like stream it. Awesome. But you need to pay, pay people for that work. Just give them, just give them the money. Is that what his criticism is? I'm really quoting John Mulaney right now. Or is he upset about. Well, it's both. Is this like a, a Scorsese, a Scorsese thing where it's not real cinema? I mean, look, I watched, I watched this movie twice. I watched it in IMAX opening day, which fucking ruled. We don't have an IMAX theater, so I'm uh, upset about it. And then I watched it last night, just at home, again. Uh, I could tell. Good times were had by all, both times. But, like... Yeah, you could tell by the text messages we were receiving. <laughs> but, the group chat that was being ignored as Jake's yeah. watch Dune for the second uh, time. But it... <laughs> Like, in IMAX, that thing is absolutely, like, it is, like, I mean, obviously, a lot of discourse has been had about how loud it is, which is good, which rules about it is how loud it is. Um, And, like, you know, I I don't want to be, like, a snob about it because, like, it, it obviously was way better at IMAX. And there's a lot just in terms of, like, the scale and, like, the viscerality of a lot of these set pieces that just doesn't have the same effect when you're watching it at home, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, now that I've seen it both ways, like, I, it totally holds up. Like, it's not like I was oh, disappointed yeah. when I went back. Um, although I do think yeah, there is one There's one bit that I think really suffered, which was the that opening moment right at the beginning where he uses his uh, funky voice for the first time on his mom. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's that weird moment where he's, like, waiting for a long time. And then he finally, like, says something. And you hear it as this, like, weird bass boom first. And then his, like, regular voice delayed. At home, that just sounds like a regular kind of weird, you know, audio effect. But in IMAX, he, like, opens his mouth and it's like, 
where you like feel the bass like in your prostate like it just like rattles mm-hmm. everything and you're like oh whoa that that's like a moment that like really really was designed for IMAX that doesn't quite doesn't quite come across but other than that <laughs> fine other than that totally good yeah my I really like the movie like blanket statement really like the movie <sighs> like it does a wonderful job it's so captivating the story is good the pacing is it's good pacing like things happen one after the other getting to the end of the movie it definitely does feel like movie number one Mm -hmm. you know like in like the grand scheme of things and because they're not filming them all at once that does worry me just a little bit when it comes to that pacing for the rest of the series Mm -hmm. if we get more than two yeah, how many is Dune a series or is it just one yeah. standalone book? There's six books. So yeah, the thing about Dune is that uh, Frank Herbert wrote six books. The mm-hmm. last one he wrote ends on a big old cliffhanger, and his son—I don't remember his son's name. His son has written like Jeremy. fifteen more Dune books after that. So oh. <laughs> in the eyes, you know, and those are those are well liked. Like people are okay mm-hmm. with those like posthumous dune books being a part of the canon yeah um but it still very much is like those first six dune books are considered like the core of frank herbert's dune um i want them to make a movie about frank herbert's son having to take up the mantle of writing dune books after his dad died that would be interesting (laughs) but because that's like a hard legacy to take on absolutely like um what are you supposed to do what are you supposed to do but uh, the thing about it is that Dune 1 is a big old thick honking book. And all the other five Dune sequels are not nearly as long. They're much, you know, they're like a regular size, mm-hmm. like two to three hundred page novels. The reverse Harry Potter. So the the thinking right now is that um, I was reading some interviews with Denis Villeneuve and he talked a lot about like his plans moving forward. And he said, like, as we were like planning this thing out. Uh, we, you know, we allowed ourselves to sort of plan ahead as far as three movies, which would be Dune Part 1, Dune Part 2, and the second book, whatever that one's called. Um, I should look it up. But, um, he basically says, like, we don't necessarily know, like, how far this is gonna go, how long we're gonna be making these if they continue to get made even without me, maybe at some point, like if this will be like a long running franchise or if it's just a few movies, if it's more concise than that. Um, but Denis knows he wants to make three movies at least. Um, Mm, the Dune books are called Dune, Dune Messiah, children of Dune, God emperor of Dune, the heretics of Dune and chapter house colon Dune. Those are the six Frank Herbert Dune books. Hey, number six. I want to see... <laughs> and no Dune 2 electric boogaloo. I want to see God Emperor of Dune so bad. That sounds awesome. So, according to my boyfriend who has read Dune, I believe. Right. If not, he comes from a family who has read Dune, which we have not, unfortunately. <laughs> no one in our family has read Dune. Well, I've I've read the first half of Dune. Well, you of read Dune. Dune. Yeah. I didn't finish Dune, but I read as much of Dune... <laughs> 
And that's this movie. Yeah, pretty much. I read I read basically as much as this movie covers of Dune. Yeah. But according to him, this, this is like part one of the first book, and number two is going to be the second half of the first book, yeah. and then num- and then like kind of into yeah. the second. Book I had to. I had to explain it to my friend uh, earlier this week in terms of um, Breaking Dawn Part mm. 1, Breaking exactly. Dawn Part 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like, like that. She like just wasn't getting it for some <laughs> reason. She was like, so it's Dune Part 1, but we are like, everyone was trying to explain to her. Oh, I was no, like, Breaking Dawn Part 1. And she was like, got right. it. I got it. You're speaking it, my language. It is, it is a little bit weird, like just in terms of title conventions. I wonder yeah. like what they're going to do. Because if you have Dune Part 1 and Dune Part 2, and then you, like, move on to the you next book, are you, yeah. like, Dune this two. one's just called Dune Messiah <laughs> Part 1, but there's only Part Probably. 1, or is it Dune Part like, 3? But the E in Messiah is a 3, yeah. No, you don't... Oh, yeah, Chapter 3! Right. I like it when movies do chapters. That is nice. I like chapters. You should pull a John Wick and just change it up every time. Like Dune Part One, yeah, or yeah, Fast and Furious. You should pull a John Wick and just start shooting people. <laughs> you call it Dune. You call it Dune Chapter Two. You call it Dune Chapter Three: Colon Children of Dune. <laughs> no, 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 Messiah. Or Dune Messiah. Excuse me. Jump all the way to Messiah. Um, or maybe that is the second one. And I no, Messiah's number two. I think. Yeah, Dune Messiah so is my, the second one. I listen. My big fear before I sat down to watch this movie. Was that Dune comes with a history of nerd culture and not very positive one all the time. It is a big, old, thick, dry book right. about it's like, about the a desert. Of course, it's dry. Sci-fi. Yeah, and like it, it like comes there. There comes with an intellectual superiority. Of, like, reading all of a very dry book and memorizing all of the information in it mm. to a T that, like, it is that people, that nerds use as, like, a holy sword to strike down people who just want to like things. Right. And so my big fear for sitting down to watch the Dune movie was that in going into film, that intellectual superiority would turn into that super, a super boring color scheme of gray and tan and nothing else because like i I feel like with like gritty realistic movies we've gone into this rut and i do feel like it comes from intellectual superiority they're like that you need colors in your film you're an idiot you need colorful things to look at what i like my gray i like dark and realistic like i had i was so afraid that this movie was going to be so visually uninteresting color wise that it would be gray and tan and nothing else and i'd be looking at a pile of sand for the whole film like i was like ready to buckle up i mean you are but it's great well i was about (laughs) to say it's very it is a very muted film but it never feels like it's trying to be intellectually superior about it and like that was what i was afraid of is that they'd be like trying to make a point that like there's only two colors in this film don't you love it like that kind of thing and it like yeah, we like to call it the the Batman dilemma. Exactly, like that's what I was afraid. Is what of. you're talking about? <laughs> but it's it's not that. It has very muted colors, but there are colors going on. There are like things of interest going on. Sometimes when they're like under the tent, and it's like the scary bright orange, or the sun is setting, and it's a little purple, or they're in that grass field, and it's the blues and the greens, or they walk into the lab, and there's the greens. Like 
It's very or your tooth poison gas. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, it's obviously trying to be realistic <laughs> and a very because they have a very kind of fantastical world that's also influenced by like our world. So they're obviously using a very muted color palette to kind of like mend the two in like kind of a realistic way. And I think it's very effective at like making that tone and doing what they're supposed to be doing without being super boring. Like it's still very visually interesting. And like the big thing is that it does not come with that like intellectual superiority that I was really afraid of with a Dune. Well, what would that look like? Do you think? I'm not sure what you're describing when you say... Well, I'm just talking about Batman, basically. Like, if every single she's scene, talking about Batman. If you're talking about how everyone hated Joel Schumacher's Batman, like, and then and then the and then Christopher Nolan came in and made a gritty, dark version of Batman, and everyone right. loved that. Everyone shit but you upon like Joel the Schumacher. Nolan That's what Batman you're talking about. Adeline. I do. I'm talking about the color palette and the but way that the, it has okay. affected the, response, the media. Past the response it. of yeah, the people. Yeah, the response to that film okay. is what I'm talking about. They said this is good and that stuff was bad, mm. and the reason is because and this it was is too smart whimsical. and this right. is silly and stupid. Right. is what happens. So, and then we have, I mean, the forever every like gritty realistic film that was like trying to like prove something past that they just like threw colors out the window in order to like appeal to that kind of setup that Christopher Nolan's Batman did. So, like, that's what I was worried about with this film because it's very much a nerdy movie, a la Batman, and it's very much a movie that comes with a history of that intellectual superiority. So I was afraid that they were going to use the color gray and nothing else and maybe some tan because we're on a desert planet and I would be looking at that for the entire movie and I would want to blow my brains out. But no, the the colors are very muted, but it's, like I said, it's very intentional, it's very beautiful, and there's still lots of colors and it doesn't come with that intellectual superiority. Is my thesis for a second so, time. <laughs> here, here's something I want to get into. One the the worst thing about the hellmouth of TikTok mm-hmm. is the way that you see, especially on my side of TikTok that I'm on, where you see a lot of like people talking about movies, but then it becomes mm-hmm. a lot of like 15 year olds talking about movies and like just. It, there's this horrible telephone game you see happen where mm-hmm. something will be brought up as, like, kind of a fun little joke about something. Like, oh, when they do this in a movie, haha. And it's like, oh, they do do that in that movie. It's funny because it's true. Haha, uh, I do that. <laughs> and, but then you see it, like, metastasize into, like, this weird telephone game of like subjectivity where suddenly you start seeing people like upset about that and trying to like use it as an actual criticism of the movie. Here's what I'm getting at. Why? Oh, it's this big, crazy sci-fi world, but the main character's name is just Paul. LOL. That's kind of funny. Sure. You know, we're used to, we're used to sci-fi guys having crazy names. This guy's name is Paul. Yeah, well, you, you the know, main character of Star Wars is named Luke. So. Exactly, but like it's yeah. a it's a funny enough observation, sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then yeah, I just Paul see it. Yeah. I just see it over and over again in like comment sections and like fourteen year olds making TikToks, and not always fourteen year olds. Sometimes it's older people. Sometimes it's people who should know better. Uh, being like, okay, but like seriously though, that's just lazy world building that the main character's name is just Paul. Which makes me so angry, and I'll tell you. I think yeah. the because... world building is the opposite of lazy. If we're gonna say anything, yeah. there's maybe yeah. too I much. Dude has lazy <laughs> world building. I know. And here's the thing: I I really sincerely feel that I think like 
the the main characters' names being Paul and Jessica is like really actually thematically important because like oh, yeah. Star Wars takes place in a whole other dimension, right? At no point in Star Wars is it ever there's no Earth in Star Wars ever. Like it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and you know a lot of other sci-fi you know properties kind of function like that. But then the opposite like end of sci-fi is when you're like this is the future this is humans of yeah. earth in the future dune takes mm-hmm. place in 10,000 whatever Nine, it's a, a logical 10,191 it's a logical con- you know uh, extending of like the human experiment whatever Which i will These say are sort that's of- too long in my opinion <laughs> Too, we've been around for too long i know too that long. history goes that way too i stand by it <laughs> but it's i think the fact that uh the main characters that are part of this like aristocratic sort of like colonialist empire the fact that mm. they have these like very classical very traditional like european names i think draws a very clear line between our present reality and the reality of this future. I think it, you know, grounds us in the idea that these are humans from Earth on some level. And it also, like, you know, pinpoints exactly sort of what modern or historical cultures this hypothetical future culture sort of evolved from. Like, this is still, Mm -hmm. it makes it really clear that this is still, like, you know, European colonialism, even if it's not mm. literally European because they're in space, it's like this is the the continuation of that strain throughout history and forever. And I think, mm. you know, the same reason it's cool that they have bagpipes. I think that's my favorite thing about this movie. Are the, like, I love that part where they go rushing into battle and the castle's being attacked and the and bagpipes. Bagpipe, like, starts playing. Oh, it's so good. fuck, it's so good. But, like, I think it's so cool because it just... How do you even learn to play the bagpipes? How do you, where do you how go? Do you? How do you, how do you, how, how where do you, I need bagpipe <laughs> lessons. I don't think that, I don't think that bagpipes are especially hard to learn how to play. I think it's basically like a recorder. But where do you, how do you, it's like, it's like organ lessons. Like, how do you obtain them? You need right, to have an yeah. organ first. Like, where do you, what do you do? I also, I also well, want to say. we have a guy at our church, so I'll be happy to teach you. <laughs> yeah. I also want to say. Regarding the bagpipes, first of all, the bagpipes are cool because the same thing. It draws a line between Europe and and this present reality and, you know, ties you, grounds you in the cultures that it's examining. Um, But also the score, the Hans Zimmer score, which is obviously incredible. Yeah, it's so good. The wild thing about that bagpipe part is that uh, in music, there's this idea in like Western European American music and this is basically the standard all over the world now. This is sort of branched out to call it exclusively Western anymore. Kind of doesn't make sense. But the mm-hmm. the tradition of music that comes from Europe, which we all use now, is the 12-tone equal temperament system where you've got, you know, a keyboard. These are the notes that we understand and we hear. Uh, in Asia, a lot of the time, the music system is totally different. Where the notes lie on, on sets of frequencies is different. Um, and like I said, that's not necessarily the modern tradition of, of Asia because they've sort of adapted yeah, yeah, our yeah, system, yeah. but classically anyway. I was about to say, I don't even know how that would work. Like, how could you right. so, like, and, sit down and read a piece of music? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, their whole like notation system was different. Um, but the thing about it is that it's, it's a tool you could use sometimes, and a lot of these like old instruments are, are using this different different scaling system. 
instead of there being 12 notes between an octave, there are like 16 or something like that. And they're not necessarily evenly distributed. They're slightly uneven because that makes a clearer harmonic distance between them. Um, as opposed to, I, I, I don't know. I could talk about this forever. We use an even tone system so that, you know, uh, uh, two notes together will always sound exactly the same no matter what key you're playing in. But depending just the way the frequencies lie, you you compromise a little bit of harmony depending on different things. Uh, whereas with uh, uh, Eastern music, quote unquote, uh, it is more specific. You're only ever playing necessarily in certain keys. So the notes are distributed such that they've got a much tighter uh, harmonic distance between them. Anyway, what I'm getting around to is that that bagpipe part, like a lot of the music in this movie, is using that Asian notation system um and Mm -hmm. having a bagpipe part that's playing basically like microtonal melodies set in a different culture's like tonal structure is absolutely wild and i have no idea how he did that outside of physically building his own special bagpipe that can play (laughs) eastern scales maybe it's just like the edited sounds of a bagpipe yeah, we know. live in the future. We can do anything with technology. Wild. We live in the future. 3D printed. It's a robot. It's a robot bagpipe. Absolutely wild shit. A special 3D printed bagpipe. Um, That's how I'll get one. That bagpipe has more rights than you, Jackson. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. And I just, I, know. I love this movie so much. I think it's so Well, great. another thing about the main character being Paul mm-hmm. is A, it's very clearly a, not, a metaphor is not the, an allusion to col- colonialism. Right. Like defo, defo, defo. Mm-hmm. But it's also the only name in this damn movie that I can remember <laughs> is Paul and Jessica. Right. And maybe Duncan. I'm still unclear yeah, on who that Duncan, is. How can you like, not remember Duncan, Duncan, Idaho? Idaho. I think I do because every time they said far. Duncan, Idaho, I'd go Duncan, Idaho. And then they'd be like, <laughs> yeah. and Duncan, Idaho and Shibadoo, their best friends. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Gurney Halleck. What's the dad's name? Leto, Duke Leto Atreides. That is one hunky man. Yeah, Oscar <laughs> Isaac. Yes, jot it down. Write that down. Hunky man alert. Nine one one. Hello, I'd like to report a hunky man. Hunky naked man. Yeah, girl, I I got something to tell you. You're a few years late on this one. We've all we've all been saying this about Oscar <laughs> Isaac for many years. It hasn't changed. Right. I did look it up though because I was. Well, no, don't get me wrong. Oscar Isaac, very handsome. Him oh. is like this old <laughs> grizzled. On another Grizzled level, Oscar Isaac. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he was they did they aged him up a little bit. They did. This is this is the female gaze, because goddamn. Because I I was like, I yeah. don't think he I don't think he's old enough to be I think if as long as cause how old is Paul supposed to be? Like, does anyone know? Is he like a teenager? Uh, in the book I think he's seventeen. Yeah. Okay, because I was I I couldn't tell because like Timothy Chalamet's like our age. And I was like, I don't think Oscar right. Isaac could be, like, feasibly his dad. But it's fine. <laughs> I think Oscar Isaac could be my dad. I think he's old enough. Every time I look up how old he is, I'm like, he's that old? He's like, he could be your teen dad. He could be your, t- he could be my teen dad. Yeah. Right, because I remember we looked up one time, like, the age discrepancy between him and his other two Star Wars co-stars. Yeah, it's a And lot. he's, like, he's, like, 20 years older than them. It's, like, the three of them running around and being all buddy-buddy, and one of them's, like, old enough to be their father. Yeah, they're, like, they're, like, we're 27! He <laughs> he's a grown-ass man. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but he's very he's handsome. He's a grandpa, right? 
So I've also, my other TikTok thing, I've seen some, this isn't nearly as bad as the Paul thing, where it turns into this weird telephone game of bad opinions. But, like, I've seen some, is Timothy Chalamet even good discourse? And I want to say that I'm firmly in the yes. But here's what I'm saying. I think that, like, the thing about Timothy Chalamet is that he's not a very showy actor. Like, if you think, if you ask somebody, like, what's the best Timothy Chalamet performance? There's never, he's never had, like, a big Oscar scene where he's doing something really crazy. And you think, like, oh, that was insane. Timothy Chalamet. Little Women. Little, I mean, kind of. I mean, he's kind of distressed in that movie. People talk about that scene in Little yeah. Women all the time when he goes, I, I love you. I want you. I want you. I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> I love you. And I miss you. <laughs> right. It's so good. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's so good. Um, It's, it's Little great. Women for me, man. But but the thing is, and I, I'm thinking about it in relationship to Johnny Depp, right? Because there's been a lot of talk about, like, the difference between Timothy young Chalamet and young Johnny Depp. Yeah, because the thing about Johnny Depp is that he was, like, he was such a jughead as a as a young star. He was a weirdo. Mm-hmm. He didn't fit in. He didn't want to fit in, et cetera, et cetera. His whole, like, star... He wore that hat all the time. Yeah, his whole star persona was built around being this, like outcast weirdo who's taken these weird roles and given these like mannered bananas performances whereas timothy chalamet is not like that like timothy chalamet except for they just shows up and have played wait right edward scissorhands johnny depp is yeah edward no 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 i'm talking about i'm talking (laughs) about willy wonka (laughs) That's Johnny Depp. Oh, Willy Wonka, right. Oh, yeah? That was my thing. Like, that's why I was a little skeptical of him being Willy Wonka, because Timothy Chalamet is not a weirdo. Like, Willy Wonka should be a weirdo. No, he's he's like a conventional soft boy. Like, we all love him. He's sexy Willy Wonka, the the cameo star. Right. And, like, usually when people, when actors, like, become this successful... It's because they have a persona that's really strong or they have, like, a thing that's really strong. But I think that, like, performance-wise, Timothy Chalamet is a very sort of quiet actor. I think the reason he's become as successful as he is is just because he looks like that. (laughs) Yeah, he just has such a distinctive look that people find very attractive. So he's just... He's just got it. He's right. good. He doesn't have to worry about it. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just my point. I think Timothy Chalamet is a very quiet, very sort of restrained, very simple actor. And I think he just does good work. I think he shows up and does the work and serves the movie 100% of mm-hmm. the time. And I think he's killing it. And he might not be able to point to anything big and flashy and be like, he's great in that. But like, I don't think you need to because I think he's yeah. doing good work. No, I think he does a great job in this film. There are moments where he gives me a chosen one, boring protagonist. And I'm not talking about the writing, because he's very clearly chosen one. That's the whole point. Right. He's a chosen mm-hmm. one in, like, four ways. It's, like, tearing him apart. Yeah. That's the point of the thing. I'm Like, the his speech at the end, when he's standing next to uh, uh, Michi. <laughs> right, Michi. And, he just go, and he's just like, my path yeah. leads into the desert. And he's... Like that gave me very much like oh he's the he's the chosen one right. and he has to do the thing like it, it there are some moments like that the rest of the time he is so compelling mm-hmm. as this like young 
he, he's essentially a prince. He's the duke's right. son or whatever. So he's like a lord or something. But like this just like young, naive, like he is kind of being forced into tradition, but still doesn't 100% get it. And it, like is old enough to like know that he doesn't like it and old enough to like kind of intentionally go ad- against it. But also young enough to just like not be held to the same standards like quite yet. Right. Like he keeps like running up and like hugging people and like asking to like do things and like go on trips and like stuff like that. Right. Like he still is very much like a young person. And I like how you see that kind of like childishness like get like kind of taken away from him as yeah. all the shit goes down. Totally. Uh, are you doing all right, Keisha? You look like you've been cutting in and out a little bit. Have you have we missed anything you wanted to say? Um, I haven't said anything yet, but I have, I need to, I need to work on my, my Wi-Fi connection, but I, I, I'm not sure how much I like this movie. I like it. I like, this is the, this was my thought process last night when I was watching it is that, uh, sometimes I'd be like, oh yeah, I like this. Like when there was a giant sandworm, I was like, yeah, I'm on board. I'm on board. Hell yes. That, and then <laughs> that scene where the helicarrier like breaks down. Mm, mm, well, because mm, the second they're like, there's a guy down there. I'm like, that guy's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> that guy out of here. And then it did get fucked. So also love, um, super into like all of the spaceships. So cool. I like mm, the, I like the dragonfly the wings. The, like yes. the four. That's mm. so cool. But then sometimes I'm, I, I feel like there is such a blocker where I was like, I don't, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to watch this in order for me to get it. And like it still feels like I'm like I'm still like not part of the club a little bit like it still feels like that right and mm. this is a whole separate thing but I I'm just like personally tired of like white savior movies and then no this this is right. kind of like along those lines where it's like another alien movie where the the aliens are some some people of color like be like like these are obviously right. like Middle Eastern stylized people mm-hmm. like right. we've seen native i mean American i have people. a take about like, this you, you can finish your thought but i just want to put my quarter on the arcade machine all right because like i appreciate any story that challenges the way that like like western people have colonialized our world like there is no part of our world that hasn't been touched by colonialism no nuts about it and yeah. i think that that is important and it's an important story to tell but i'm also just like personally really tired of a seeing like another white savior person coming in and being like well i'm one of the good guys i'm a good one and so i'm gonna save you i got you right. and also just like as a person of color i'm kind of just tired of seeing another alien that's based off like their whole culture is just uh, just uh, not white and like that's it's right. tricky for me. Like I like Star Wars land every they're like, "Ooh, look at these funny snacks. They're seaweed and the, like lotus flower." And they're like, "Why like the, it's alien. It's so alien. It's like, why is that right. alien? Because like you it's not meat and potatoes. Like I'm just kind of tired of it." Right. And I like I do I appreciate some of it, but also I'm like it's a little exhausting at this point. So right. part of me was like, I'm, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I feel like, how many times do right. we have to break it up with like, you? Dudes. It's good, it's good, it is good, and the story is good, but it's also like just kind of it gets a little like taxing sometimes when you're like, oh, another. Right. It's the first to do this, but coming in 
at the end of after everybody else has already done their thing. Right. So I, I've seen this opinion floating around from several people of being like, well, you got to give it a pass because it, it's like the tentpole it sci-fi. In, yeah. Like it's doing all this yeah, stuff 61. for the first time. Like it's the first story. It's doing this yeah, for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the movie is coming after, like has the like knowledge of all the people that came before it of all doing basically a lot of these things mm-hmm. for years. Like these are all established yeah. sci-fi tropes at this point. So they can't just deliver it like it's new because it was the first one. Because it's not new right. anymore. We all know about sand planets. We all know mm. about like the the like gritty, realistic military, but it's sci-fi. Like we all know these things, and we are very familiar with them. So just kind of like giving it a pass to like do all those things again, I don't think is valid because the film. Has the like can do whatever it wants and like knows where we are as a society in regards to sci-fi and could like be doing what Dune was doing, but in a modern way that we know after having Dune in film, having Dune's Mm -hmm. little clammy hands on film for years. I think my challenge for the for the future is to maybe just don't have every single bit of an alien culture be derivative of a culture that you're not familiar with. It's, that's all. Right. There are no that's funny all. guys. Well, that is a point to be made. Well, there's no funny little guys. <laughs> right, no funny little guys in this movie. Okay, here's here's my take. I, ha- I have some thoughts about this. I think that... Uh, I mean, the first thing's first. I don't know how this whole thing pans out. I've only read the first half of the first book, <laughs> and we've only seen mm. the first half of the first movie, basically. So, like... I don't. That, that really is the problem with Dune. Right. No one's read it. <laughs> uh, like we don't. I, like Dads. none of us really know like how this story like pans out or what sort of thematic areas they get into. So like I want to say that first of all, just to couch my yeah. own statements as well as Which is your guys's. Yeah. Um. But also, I do think that like the the casting in this movie like that is a little bit. I, I think that it's it's play with White Savior is a little bit smarter than that because I think the like the thing that really stands out to me is like the House Atreides like coming to Arrakis and being like, We got you guys, like we're gonna do it, we're gonna be the white saviors, like it's chill, like we're the good guys, we're gonna fix it. And then the same guys that were oppressing Arrakis this whole time just come and just fucking hand their lunches to them. Like, they just get absolutely bodied by the, the colonial superstructure that they were trying to subvert. Like, I think that is is sort of the key to the thematics of this movie politically, which is that just, like, you can't... Like, it takes way more than a few good white people to figure this shit out. Like, if you're a few... To fix years of colonialism. Exactly. If you're yeah. a few good white people and you're like, okay, okay, it's fine, though. Like, we know, we're woke, we understand. But we're cool. We're, we're yeah. cool, we're gonna yeah. treat you well, it's all gonna get... You're still, like, then you're just on the opposite side of, of history, which has only pretty much ever gone one way, you know? And you're, you're mm. gonna get lumped right in there, you're gonna get your... Just your butthole destroyed by whatever was going on um now that's my biggest takeaway i also think that like it's a lot i mean i don't know i think it's interesting i don't think that the people on arrakis which at least under to my understanding are still like humans who descend from earth eventually um i i don't necessarily think of the people on arrakis as being coded to be like a particular race I think that the House Atreides is. I think that mm-hmm. House Atreides is white. 
they're all like white European people. And even if they're not like literally an ethno state, uh, it, it is, you know, that those people have just come from a descendant of power and wealth, which is almost overwhelmingly going to be white in this, in this culture they come from. I think the people on Arrakis, I think the people like the Harkonnens, I think all these other people can be whatever. They're not like, you know, one particular ethnicity. They don't all look a certain way. They're sort of whatever else. I think, I don't think that they're being specifically singled out. I think House Atreides is specifically yeah. being singled but out. But there is racially. coding that's the that happens in the movie. I think that, yeah. Right. I think the main coding does come with spice, which is a very fun thing to call your fantasy stuff. But, like, just that, like, red spice that they had, like, in the bowl is, like, so, like, culturally-wise, like, Middle Eastern. Like, there's just no way around it. Yeah, there's literally a spice trade. It's a spice trade. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's just so on the nose that it's like, okay, well, you can't, it's hard to separate the two, like, after that. And it's a very quick moment where they show that too, but it just, like, sets what we're doing with spice for the whole movie. So I feel like, I don't know. It, 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 there definitely is... Well, first of all, I would say, like, with that, like, the tiny bit of culture that we get shown for the Haragans, what are they called? Uh, Which the, ones? the guys on Arrakis, I don't remember. <laughs> the guys on Arrakis. The, the femur, femur, fantasy femur, made femur, up femur, femurial. No. Like the Arrakis. <laughs> There's one that starts with an F. There's one that starts with an yeah. F. The Freeman? Freeman. The Freeman, yeah. Freeman. They're the Freeman. They're the Freeman. The, f- okay. the Freeman. So the Freeman. <laughs> We we see a very tiny, tiny, tiny bit of their culture, and part of their culture is mech suits, which seems weird to me, but whatever. They got it. But they, I mean, they it's have for to, life. but how? How the God, fuck must they build so this suit when they're living in the desert? And whatever. That's awesome. We'll pro- they'll probably tell us. But you, the, the, the culture that we've seen of them has been very, very small. We see, like, that one shot of somebody with, like, a bowl of spice, and then we see them just kind of, like running around and that's like all of their culture that we see like we see nothing else and i think a part of it is the fact that it is a desert culture too makes it seem middle eastern as well like there's just and part of that i don't know how much of that is unavoidable like if someone's in the sun and the sand and we put a veil on them like that makes sense but that also immediately paints it as middle eastern you know like that kind of thing i think is tricky but it yeah, my main point was we haven't seen a lot of their culture that maybe when we see more of it, yeah. it will be more ambiguous and less kind of on the nose as it feels right right now. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, like we, it's very when much we meet up like, with the Fremen, they're just like running around in the rocks and they don't have house and they're all wearing the exact same mech suit. So right. like we don't see anything for their culture. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, this story, this first half of this story is like through the perspective of Paul, basically. They're, like, this mysterious, mm. unknowable culture that he, like, can't figure out anything about. And, like, they keep to themselves and they're mysterious. So we don't know. We don't know anything about mm. their culture. But now, presumably, that he has, you know, put himself, you know, introduced himself and, like, assimilated into their culture and is going to be traveling with them and doing whatever it is he does with them. Uh, mm-hmm. I can only assume that's when, like, that culture starts to actually sort of be established and start to make sense. Because, I don't know. I think that's just the trajectory of the of the story. Um I also yeah. want to point out, I did watch the David Lynch Dune the other day, which was pretty wild. It's because that's the thing. Like this Dune movie is like a very literal adaptation. Like every scene in it is a scene that was in the book. 
there are a lot of lines mm-hmm. that are taken directly from it. You know, it's everything that's happening, like, happens pretty much the same way it does in the book. And, you know, there's, like, some stuff taken out, obviously, here and there. But for the most part, it's just like, yeah, this is Dune. Like, we got it. Whereas, like, David Lynch's Dune it is way more... It's a way more creative adaptation, is how I'll put it. Mm-hmm. Like... I I can only assume this is a Dune thing that will become established later as I continue to read and or watch this thing. But there's the guild navigators, which are apparently these, like, ultra-mutated people whose, like, sole purpose in life is to, like, use the spice in order to plot courses through the universe. And in David Lynch's movie, it's just, like, this big, like, rubbery prosthetic, like, whale mole guy with a weird mouth and there's like a solid like 15 or 20 minutes of that movie of this like big monster alien just like zooming around in space and like looking at planets and stuff and you're like okay sure i mean i guess i don't know (laughs) sure i do think that that i haven't from people whose opinions that i respect talking about the david lynch dune movie right is that fam- for some reason in society that has been like labeled and dragged down as like a bad movie right. of the movies? This is a bad yeah. one. And for people who have, whose opinions I trust who've seen it, because I haven't seen it, so take it with a grain of salt, yeah. are like, they're like, it's not bad. Like, yeah, it's not a bad it's movie. Kinda like, weird it's kind of weird and interesting. interesting. It's good and it's fun. I've heard like it's a little bit, like a tiny bit more hitchhikers than it is yeah. Dooney. But like, and I feel like that's. Why, like, that? that's that intellectual superiority coming in again. They're like, how dare you take the tent pool of sci-fi and change it right. and make and do something, like, with the whale man just looking at planets. Like, <laughs> yeah. this isn't Dune. Like, that kind of thing. I, I think that's why that got labeled as a bad movie yeah. by the nerds that flooded to watch it because they were all those Dune purists right. when they saw David Lynch well, yeah, having fun with his sci-fi and trying to, like, move stuff around. They were like, this isn't I did well, think, I mean, thing. this isn't the book that I I would read. say, though. Well, I have like, two other things to bring up about the David Lynch Dune that I think are very important to getting the, okay. the whole world of it. First of all, the production design is kind of ugly and <laughs> okay. it looks like an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation most of the time. There are some, like... People love Star Trek The Next Generation. But, like, there are, there are like, some sequences that are, like, big, expensive, like, special effects sequences that look really great. But a lot of the time, it feels like they're just, like, you know, kind of walking around on, like, cardboard sets and being like, oh, no! Like, that kind of thing. Not helped by the fact that Patrick Stewart is in it. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, uh, Paul Atreides is being played by Kyle McLaughlin, who looks like he's about 100 years old, and is playing the character like a little fancy lad with like the berries and cream haircut. (laughs) He is, he's like a little lad in that movie. And he's just like, Father, whatever shall I do? And he just like acts like that the whole time. It's horrible. Kyle McLaughlin. I want that so badly. (laughs) It's like, it's very bad. Quite a bad performance. From a man I quite respect. I will say Kyle McLaughlin, great. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin in Dune, not my favorite yeah, performance cast. of his. Miscast. 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 So, so what were you going to say, Keisha? Oh, I just, I mean, it's the same. I think we had this conversation before, but it it's hard for people to differentiate between is this a good adaptation or is this a good movie? Because mm-hmm. there are, mm-hmm. there can be bad movies and bad adaptations, but a bad adapta- adaptation can still be a good movie. 
Like, people will always complain about how if you haven't read the Harry Potter books, then you are not a real Harry Potter fan because you missed out on this random character that was in two chapters of the right. Order you of the Phoenix. You missed out on Ron Weasley being poor. Yeah, or, yeah. Like, but, or like, you're like, you don't understand what... There's just... There's a lot of... And I, I understand where it's coming from because you love this source material and you are like are faithful to it and you've read all of it and you love it. And so when the movie doesn't exactly translate how you have been like, like stewing and simmering in this content for so long, then you will mm -hmm. probably get angry. But I, it just, it, it always begs the question. Like if, did you take a step back and is this a real valid argument against the movie? Or are you just right. upset that mm -hmm. it doesn't look the way that you imagined it to? Because I think that's okay. I was about to say. Like, mm -hmm. like, because there's it's not how you imagine that's like, there's a difference right. between like Chronicles of Narnia. Mr. Tumnus didn't have the right colored scarf or whatever versus like the last mm -hmm. airbender. Um, a lot happened in the last airbender. Why are all these white people bad. here? Like, or yeah, yeah. So, I I mean I always think about when people talk about like the book was better. First of all, shut scary. Hey society, if you ever want to talk about a book movie or a movie book, sh don't <laughs> just stop because right. I don't give a shit. If like I will give a shit about like what the book was, but if you walk up to me and say the book's better, I'm gonna be like, it's a book and a movie. They're two yeah, totally yeah. separate, different things. Like shut the fuck up. Like it takes me like what a week to consume and fully enjoy a book and two hours max right. to enjoy the film. Of course they're different and the movie leaves out some things. It's probably flashier. Like, shut up. Right. Like, of course, that makes total sense. But when I always think about like being upset about a film, I always think in my personal experience was the Percy Jackson films. Because mm -hmm. I read all those books and loved those books so much. And when the movie came out, it is famously a not good movie, but what I was so upset about as a 13-year-old was the fact that they made Annabeth not blonde. Right. And that still kind of yeah. irks me to this day because it's so much of her character, but like that irked me. But then growing up and kind of looking back on it as not a 13-year-old who was so obsessed with the source material. You're like, that's not the problem with that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie's just bad, yeah. is the thing yeah. about that film. <laughs> Is that it's not a Percy Jackson movie, and also it's a bad movie. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a double whammy. Like, there's just an art to add adapting something. When you're not a person who thinks about film artistically, a lot of the time, I think when you have mm. an, an adaptation, it feels like you have a rubric, right? You're mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. this is the book, and I know objectively, I can look at this and I can say, check, 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 X didn't do that, didn't do this, this was wrong, this was wrong, and like, you know, it it allows people to sort of like have that sort of like objective distanced you know like non-biased view of like whether it was a good movie or not that people are so obsessed with mm -hmm. uh and like that is just a bad way to watch a movie that's just not how yeah. you should watch yeah, movies not <laughs> well, yeah. and, but yeah. and also there is an art to adapting a movie into from a book it's it's yeah like because you essentially adaptation. essentially have to uh, reverse engineer like something that mm -hmm. already exists because if you're just starting with you do this and then this and then this and then you go like then it's gonna it's not gonna be good like that's what happened with the the first percy jackson movie is that they were like well we need to find the golden fleece and we need to go to this place and percy has to find out that he's poseidon's son and blah 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 and then it, it just mm -hmm. ended up feeling very lifeless and like the it didn't like there was no character yeah. direction whereas mm -hmm. like a good adaptation will start 
with a character regardless of already knowing things about the character and then build from there. And I think that this is happening in this movie. Like this movie it feels like to I haven't read it. I don't know things, but like the characters despite how many there are, there are many and they mm-hmm. all have funny names uh-huh. that are hard to learn. Like it feels like they're coming from a grounded place and it feels like there is reality behind oh, yeah. it. Like and so mm-hmm. that I, I, I I'm sorry to the Dune fans, the Dune buggies. I don't know what your fan name is, but no, I mean Dune. Yeah. Dune, Dune buggies like this movie a lot because I mean, like yeah, I say, it's like it Fellowship feels, of the yeah, Ring. It feels really close real and grounded and good. Yeah. Well, and what I really like is that the people are human people who like each other and talk to each yeah, other and totally. feel like real human people. I feel like that's also a thing that I feel like we lose occasionally in sci-fi. There's a lot of sci-fi where the heart of it is talking about humanity. So usually the characters are good and like talk to each other right. and seem like real human people. And then there's other sci-fi where they're talking about something else and all the people are like robots that have goals and don't talk to <laughs> right, each yeah. other. And maybe they kiss at one point and that's like the whole thing. Right. But yeah, so like this movie did such a good job of having so many different people who had like different opinions and were obviously like, like approaching the situation. And they're like friends. Differently. But they all like each yeah. other. Like that was great. Like I like the scene where the Freeman guy comes up and you have Duncan who's like been with the people and is trying to like explain stuff. And you have the Duke who's being like chill, but also like kingly. And then you have his like friend buddy who's like fuck all of you, you're all, like, you're you're gonna kill us. Right. But then, at the end of that scene, they all, like, turn in and have a conversation, and they're all friends. <laughs> right, like, yeah. it's great. And that like, moment, that's a human that thing. moment where Javier Bardem spits at Oscar Isaac's feet got a huge laugh <laughs> out of my audience. <laughs> like, yeah. this is, like, maybe one of the most humorless blockbusters of the last five years. Like, maybe not since Batman mm-hmm. versus Superman have there been fewer jokes in a big blockbuster movie. But, yeah. like... But I don't think that's bad, you know. Yeah. But th- there are yeah, some. Yeah. There are a couple. I mean, the two the two big ones are like Jason Momoa's big trailer line where he's like, you put on some muscle? And he's like, I don't know, did I? And he's like, no. Like, that's funny. It's a good joke. <laughs> and then good. that's like the big bit. That's like the bit that got like a huge laugh out of my theater was when Javier Bardem just like spits at his feet. And he's like, what the fuck did you just do? And then he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, no, I also uh-huh. give you the gift of my water. which is i like that i think that's cool i really like like, the idea (laughs) i like the water stuff the water stuff's interesting because yeah it's it's, so good it's it's fun to be like yeah you need to wear this sweat and and you yeah here put this in put this nose piece in or you'll die in the desert but then also they're running around in pajamas in the desert so we don't we don't my critique is they talk about so much they'd say it all the time if you are like out in the sun period Mm -hmm. ever you're gonna die you're gonna instantly be shriveled up and you're gonna die because the sun it's so hot you're gonna burst and you see the vision of that we don't see anybody ever die in the desert arm vision though he's like ooh crispy (laughs) (laughs) yeah we do see that but like they talk about it so much and it's such a thing it's like you need these like wetsuits or you're gonna die in the desert like we have to go inside because you can't be in the desert you want to see somebody and then nobody ever gets hurt by the desert it's kind of like those people who think that we can probably breathe in space because we've never seen anybody die in space. And the two two main characters are stranded in the desert. 
It's just, yeah. But <clears throat> like, I wanted like, to see. Like, I don't believe you because no one's gotten hurt by the sun yet. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to see at least one person get wheelered. You know, you fall into the deadly desert and you turn <laughs> into sand. We didn't get to do yeah. our, <laughs> Return <to laughs> our Return to Oz episode. But regardless, everyone should know <laughs> that if you if you fall into the deadly desert, you turn into sand. I wanted like there. I wanted there to be at least one Chekhov's desert. Okay. Also, <laughs> right, yeah. recently, someone there told me I tried to make a Chekhov's gun joke by saying I I uh-huh. said something so, along the lines of Chekhov's desert, and someone corrected me and was like, Chekhov's gun is actually the term that refers to whatever. And I was like, I know that, but that's not funny. <laughs> Can you tell it to a theater? Kid? That's yeah. not yeah. funny if I say that. Other <laughs> then it's not a joke that I'm just saying what it is. So. Right. Anyway, yeah, if I said Schrodinger's desert, I forgot you who mansplained right. Chekhov's gun to me. But if you're out there, you're on, you're I on know what list. it means. But I'm I'm doing right. a goof. Anyway, right. <laughs> I wanted to see someone get crispy. Podcast. I wanted to see someone get crispy from right. the True. desert. Mm-hmm. You want to know something that's weird about David Lynch's version? I think honestly, I think this is maybe as big of a roadblock as all the other things I mentioned. Is that there's this weird technique where Every once in a while, David Lynch just decides you can, like, hear the character's thoughts as they just, like, say some exposition inside oh. their head. But it's not super well done. And it's not, like, any particular character. It's just, like, any random character. And it really mm. just feels like he doesn't trust us to, like, get what's going on. Um, he yeah. just, like, needs to, like, say something again. And you're like, so we're just going to, like, enter their thoughtscape for, like, a second? Mm. Whatever. Well, it but, makes a little tiny. I'm gonna defend this movie. I've never seen. Real okay, quick, but like it makes a tiny bit of sense because Dune does definitely dwell in that area of like the mind and spirits right. and like ooh, and he's got superpowers yeah. about his brain and he's alert and he's sensitive, so he can he's a when the dust happens. Yeah. he's sensitive <laughs> when the when the spice happens. He like sees into the future. Like there's there's mind stuff going on, which right. like so who I can doesn't? understand him kind of playing playing in that zone a little bit. But if he does a bad job, it that's feels kind of the end like. Of it. Well, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know how to. I want to make sure they understand the exposition of this movie. So I'm gonna yeah, add exactly. more Which is valid because Dune is a horror yeah. source she's material. Dense. So like, she's the cheesecake of like sci-fi. My, my heart. <laughs> yeah, like my heart goes out to anybody trying to make a Dune movie because, yeah. like, yeah. It's dense, and people get mad at you if you forget parts of it. <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say, maybe the worst. The weirdest thing, I've never seen a movie open like this. The very beginning of Dune is literally just the face of this woman who's not a character. She's just a narrator. There's, like, space mm-hmm. in the background, and this woman comes on screen, and she's like, here's the deal. She talks just like this. She's like, here's what's up. So there's this planet, right? It's called Arrakis. There's spice there. They use it for space travel. This is the House of Atreides. And right up front, she says, like, and I just want to be clear, not a character, not, like, any in-fiction response. Literally just Mm -hmm. a pretty woman who comes out and explains what Dune is to you. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right up top, like, this Denis Villeneuve movie is very much, like, unraveling this conspiracy against the house of Atreides and how they're being set up for failure. But like that opening narration in the David Lynch version is like, so here's what's up. The Harkonnens got too powerful, but there's also a, a, a grudge that the emperor holds against the house of Atreides. So he's putting them there because they're being set up to fail. Start movie. And you're like, Oh, I mean, I guess like, <laughs> that's kind of like I mean, a I mean, mystery, kind of like a reveal, the- <laughs> but whatever. It's 
very Shakespearean in its uh, dialogue totally. And, oh, totally. and drama. So maybe it makes sense to have a just random narrator. Yeah, Shakespeare included <laughs> yeah. many yeah, in I mean, his honestly, tragedies. Yeah. You know, you have to you need to explain. You have to set the scene, but also that's coming from a medium where they had to do that in order to set the scene. So <laughs> right. because no one knew what you were talking about yeah. ever, you had to tell people what you were talking about. But yeah, I first of all. Where is the Greek chorus in just in media? <laughs> I hate I want Greek them chorus. back. Those mm-hmm. were fun. No, they're not you seen the real speak in unison mm-hmm. and they're just like, what is up, character in the play? Like, fuck no. yeah, where's that? I want I, that so bad. Like I Sam Jackson, to, do the right thing. No, I there went to go. the 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 International Thespian Festival in 2014, and I I saw Antigone there and I hated it. Because of the Greek chorus, it was so scary. No, it was so scary. It was like fifty people yelling at this one girl on stage at eight in the morning, and I was (laughs) miffed and plucked. I did not like it. Like that's what your mind is doing to the character. My teacher was like, "Wasn't it so good?" And I said, "I hated it. I cannot watch something with a Greek chorus. Like I I I understand theater." It was that's valid. I, I just want somebody in a spooky mask to just like break the fourth no, wall right. and start yelling. I, hey, I love a spooky that's what mask. I, want. I love a spooky mask. But when everyone is shouting at the same time, it made sense to do it in ancient Greece because they couldn't hear. They were far away <laughs> right. and they couldn't hear. They had to do it. But now we have microphones. We don't need to do it. Now it's just spooky and weird and off-putting. The first film I make is gonna have a Greek chorus, and then I'm not watching well, it. I mean. <laughs> Because I took I took a couple of theater classes at community college where we were like dug in a lot of like different kinds of theater and like, you know, mm-hmm. you do like improvisational like Commedia dell'arte, you do like Shakespeare work or not even just Shakespeare, like other classical theater work from that era. And like, you know, all these things are like really cool and interesting and but like doing like Greek theater sucks so bad because it. Like, everything else you work on, even when it's, like, a boring play from the 60s, you can, like, really dig into it and, like, find, you know, something interesting in the language. But Greek theater is, like, awkward translations of words that Mm -hmm. were written for somebody 8,000 years ago who, like... And, like, the language is not at all pleasant or flowery or flow well at all. They're... Like, the, the translations of these things are, like, never interesting or cool. So you're always just, like, you have to f- try to find some way to emotionally connect to being, like, <clears throat> oh, no, my father to... has been killed by the hordes or whatever. I have to and you're sprinkle like, dust just like on his body things. at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Exactly. Well, I remember, I mean, there's a reason that we only have so many Greek plays it's that we sure we probably lost a few of them but also it's because a lot of them were bad and we didn't like them yeah, anymore. Yeah, know, probably. they're like we're but, like, just I, I, I read out. antigone <laughs> yeah i read antigone and i really liked it i've never seen a production of antigone but yeah, yeah. my what i was gonna say is like a it's very shakespearean and that's cool b greek choruses are cool fuck you three <laughs> this is my point 
was that I, I do see that kind of opinion floating around that this movie is hard to understand and people are like rewatching it being like, what the fuck is happening? Right. And I don't, I know I just use a silly voice. I don't want to shit on <laughs> I know we do that all the time. Immediately getting we, we state an opinion <laughs> we disagree with with this voice. Oh, I don't know what's yeah, like, going on. And they were like, but uh, that's fine. That's valid. <laughs> but that's fine. That's cool. But yeah, because it's like, it. I mean, there is, like I talked about, there like is a history of it being famously hard to understand and also hard to ingest. Mm. So, like, I understand, like, coming up to this with that roadblock. But I feel like the movie does do a good job of kind of telling you everything you need to know without telling you literally every single detail of what's going on. Because... God, there must be a lot of them. But, like, I feel like people think that they need literally all yeah. of the information yeah. to know what's going on mm-hmm. because Dune, the book, literally gives you all of the information. Yeah. So, like, when the, like when he's in bed and he wakes up and there's that weird, like, floaty light or there's, like, the mosquito, like, death thing. Yeah. Like, it's all, like, it's obviously, like, stuff that's going on in the world. Like, these are all details, obviously. But they just, like, present it to me, and I just figure it out, and I'm good, and I move on, you know? Because I know the basic thing of what's going on. I know that this guy doesn't like this guy, and this political thing is going on, and he's not sure what he's doing. Like, because I get all of the other stuff that's going on, when details like that get thrown in that I don't 100% understand immediately, I can just, like, make an assumption of what they are and then move on, and it doesn't ruin my movie experience. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's exactly the same thing as I was talking Mm -hmm. about with comic books when we did our Venom episode. Like people mm-hmm. don't treat like if they if they feel like they might not understand what's happening, they're much more likely to not understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though they do, they just think there's more to understand than they are. They just expect to not understand yeah. it. Um and yeah, I mean honestly, like adaptationally, I think like a lot of the pretty much like with only a couple of exceptions, like pretty much every like scene in the book is in the movie. Like it's pretty it's a pretty one to one adaptation of the first half of this book. The the only major difference is like any scene where like people are talking to each other about something, like in the movie is pretty succinct and they keep it to just like what you need to know and what the important like pieces of information being transferred between characters are. Yeah, what the are. emotions are. What we're yeah, doing. whereas yeah. in the book, the conversations are just much longer where they're like, oh, and oh, I used sure. to live yeah. here and when this happened, that happened and the world and all that kind of stuff, which I honestly, like, Dune is a decently dense book, but it is not as bad as its reputation suggests. Mm-hmm. Like, comparing it to even, like, Fellowship of the Ring, like, I would so much rather read Dune than Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship of the Ring, yeah, holy shit, so is that book weird. hard to read. Like, Yeah, it's so weird, because, like, Lord of the Rings, like, has been, like, in, like, the popular culture, has been, like, kind of, like, sold as, like, the, you, we all know it, we all read it, like, it, the, Lord of the Rings, great, amazing books, and, like, of course we all love the story. I don't know that J.R.R. Tolkien is maybe the best writer in the world. He's an amazing storyteller, I don't know if he's got this writing thing figured out yet. And, but it's weird that that has been sold as, like, the easy fantasy series of Lord right, of the Rings. Yeah. Like, we've all read Lord of the Rings. We all like Lord of the Rings. Versus Dune has been sold as, don't read this because you'll hate it, but I love it. <laughs> right. Like, it's weird how that's happened. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. I love it. Oh, you'll hate it. It sucks. Like, I love it. I've got the whole, I've got all of them memorized. You're going to hate it. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what Dune has become. No, yeah. Like, Dune, like, 
as much as like there are like long boring conversational scenes like anytime something exciting is happening like when the palace is getting attacked when he's like sparring with gurney halleck when you know the sandworm sequence it's like thrilling Mm -hmm. like it's so well written you're like i'm so into this like this rules and then you know and then you have to take a break for a little while and listen to people talk about the thing and like you know it's kind of interesting there's like some information but then it like picks up again Whereas, like, you know, I don't know, Tolkien is, like, so fucking dry and dreary. Mm -hmm. And, like, even when something exciting is happening, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, could you write this any more exciting? Well, he was literally, like, just talking about J.R.L. Tolkien now. You're welcome. He was, like, literally trying to make, like, a a fantasy history book. It's, like, literally what he was trying to do. And it's weird that we kind of turned it into, like, a novel. Because, obviously, a very interesting story is going on. But, like, his whole thing, like, the reason that he was so into, like, the language and the maps and the world is because he was literally like, I just want to make, like, a history. Like, a fantastical history. And so that's what he did. And then he wrote it all down. And he's not an amazing writer. And so it's like, we're like, this amazing novel. And it's like, it's kind of not a novel. It's kind of this, like, fantasy history book, I think is the best way to put it. You seem upset by Lord of the Rings takes, Keisha. (laughs) What? I couldn't hear you. I said, you seem upset by our Lord of the Rings. Oh, I'm not upset. I'm just thinking. I I was just thinking about like this movie specifically. I'm not upset with your Lord of the Rings takes. I don't have any hot (laughs) Lord of the Rings takes. Okay, cool. Um, But if you, I feel, I feel fine about the Lord of the Rings. I'm not emotionally connected, but I'm not anti Lord of the Rings either. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. But I do think I, I like when I was watching this last night, I felt like at, at one point I did maybe like 25 minutes into the movie, I had to pause it and just like look up the Wikipedia of what I'd seen so far because I was just kind of confused. Right. Like there was like, I, like they just had introduced like three factions, very like not, it was not that it was fast, but it was just that like there were three things that I was not familiar with at all. And I, I was trying to get settled. And then all of a sudden, like, Timothy Chalamet has his hand shoved in this box by a woman that we eventually learned to be his like grandmother, like the leader of his mother mother's faction. No, she's the leader of the Bene Gesserit. Le- yeah, which yeah, is yeah, like yeah, a yeah. Witch cult. Which she's is like, which is, which yeah. is, which hadn't been like really addressed. Like we knew that he was like semi, like he's got magic, some kind of magic. But when. When that, that happened, hand shoved in box. Here's a a poison needle at your throat. I'm gonna kill you. I was like, what the did Dom I Jabbar. like? But like that's the thing. I I was like, I must have missed something. Like I must have missed it because there's too. I had too much thrown at me all at once. And there's no way if it keeps going at this pace, I'm gonna be able to keep up. And 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 right. it it levels out. Like you, you get it eventually, but it is difficult for mm-hmm. someone to be 25 minutes into a movie and be like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm right. like, I'm like, I have, I'm clinging, I'm clinging, but I'm confused. <laughs> like people don't like to be confused <laughs> in that way. Right. Um, like it takes a little while to get into it for some people. And that's okay because I, I kept going. I persevered. And then eventually that's okay. Like, but no, like that's like, it is, I can understand where frustrations are coming from this movie and I can, and I can, but it's also really beautiful and really intense and really cool and has some really interesting like world building and set design that I think is worth watching. Um, And also I do, this is completely different. 
that's the end of that thought. I think it's weird that um, okay. his mom is a concubine, and like I like I don't know if that's gonna come into play or. No, that was an insult. That wasn't a no. She's no, they're a, not no, married. She, he's, they're not she's married. The, oh, they're not. No. Oh, okay. She's I thought concubine. he was saying like you and your whore. No. At what what Oscar Isaac was like? I should have married you, but it's like he doesn't have a wife, so like I don't understand. Just this is just like if I could travel back right. to nineteen sixty. Yeah, and be like, it's something why to is talk she a about. Concubine? <laughs> I fully, so here's the thing. Here's the thing about me. I was watching with the subtitles on, so, because I I need them. Yes. But, so, I was, like, looking somewhere else when he said that line, and I thought he said, I, sh- I shouldn't have married you. Oh. He so, said, I totally I read that scene said, wrong, so that's I should have married you, but you're just a concubine. <laughs> Is it a race thing? Yeah. Is he it's, only about to marry you? I think it's just, like, yeah, I'm not exactly sure why they made that decision. I think it is... <laughs> More just about sort of like keeping a distance between the two of them because it feels like he's kind of being raised by either of them in sort of opposite directions. Just in that thematic way where it's like, you know, like you said, he's like the chosen one on two counts and like, you know, that that like tension is like tearing him apart. I think it's just a thematic way of like keeping some distance between his two parents. I don't know. Yeah, well, with her whole like religious order thing, I think it really is about that. I don't think that she can get married in that like religious cult thing that she's well, in. then like they were like they were like you can have a kid have a kid please have a but daughter they, though, but like yeah so they witches. can choose can they choose what kind of don't worry about but it that's, i'm just <laughs> asking and, like it begs the yeah. question because they're like you chose to give him a son yeah. she's like i gave you a son on purpose <laughs> son. Yeah, on so purpose good. i yeah. gave you a son and so yeah. he's like i'm very yeah. thankful concubine i'm thankful yeah. concubine are we being misogynistic or is this a sci-fi plot point <laughs> i don't know no i think yeah. i think th- i think the dark implication is that if you have a son you shouldn't keep it is what uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going. This is the uh, Moses <laughs> stuff. Like, oh, you had a because. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, I gotcha. Okay, I wasn't sure. I was if like, I are they anything just anything about any fantasy thing ever? Everyone is Moses. No, I was gonna say, is this a, like a magical womb? She's got a magical womb that she can choose to have a woman. Mm. She have a female daughter. I mean, maybe or whatever. It could I don't be. know. I was just wondering. Maybe. I don't. I'm sure. That's cool. Uh, also, oh, yeah. hey, not enough Bautista in this movie. Oh, not no, 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 Bautista. no. Like, severely <laughs> depleted. <laughs> He's so good. I love Dave. He does yell. He sure does he yell. He yells that, that one time. time. That was good. And I'm God, sure he'll Dave be there gross, more later. His gross, gross uncle that I'm pretty sure ate that guy's wife. I know. You <laughs> can't tell me that he didn't. Yeah. Chronostyle yeah. swallow her whole, and now she's living in him. That's what happened. That one shot where he gets, like, really close to him, and, like, his belly is, like, in full view. Yeah. He fucking he ate, ate her. her. I don't care. Chang Chen. Yeah, I was gonna... Chang Chen in this movie looking so much like Mr. Sinister from the X-Men. <laughs> Did you think like, about you know, that, Kija? The guy with the diamond on his head? No, it looks like no. Mr. Sinister. Oh, my God, you're Oh, You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about fucking gross man McFloaty. Yeah, Stellan Skarsgård. Fuck that guy. He rules. <laughs> I was gonna so say gross. like this. I've been told this is a tame interpretation of yeah. him. Fucking yeah. What is that in um? Don't in like, like the meaning of life. The Monty Python. There's like that one sketch where there's that guy who eats like so much that he explodes. Oh right. It's yeah. like that, but less. That is more yeah. gross than this interpretation. 
But like, it's valid. yeah, I mean, they're... he's always just supposed to be like he's this this like grotesque wealthy yeah. man Immortal who's so Joe. fat he needs like a hover yeah. suit to get yeah. around. But I thought he was a worm yeah, at first. I thought he was a worm man because right. they had that silhouette. I was like, he's a worm man! This race of people has a worm man! <laughs> he's the dude! And I was, like, I was like, that's so cool. There's so many worms in this movie. I love a movie with a lot of worms. <laughs> it's thematic. There were fewer worms than I thought initially because he, he wasn't a worm man, but I'm still appreciative. Still a yeah. worm man. You know what? Those sandworms, though, they do God. not disappoint. Holy oh, shit, are those secrets those are so good. good. Sandworms. When that sandworm ate up that that freaking sand craft hover whatever, Ooh. I was like, oh, oh. So and it just it was so subtle at first, and I was like, you're gone, you're dead, you're dead, and then bam, when the other one when the, it had that like step thing that was supposed to distract the sandworm, freaking cool technology right. by the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the sandworm was just like, what? The if is happening. What's going on here? Just scanning. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is so good. I can't wait for. I want more sandworms. I love. I always want sandworms. Sandworms. <laughs> Talking about the water stuff again is that a two things. It's cool that when they meet the Freeman, they're like, "We gotta kill you because we're gonna suck the water out of you." That's cool. I like that. Like we have to kill you because we need yep. water. That's cool. Second thing, I when the, the researcher lady gets stabbed by the the emperor's people and he stabs her and you don't see blood you just see the water like coming Spray out, of her out of her suit, suit. That, yeah that's cool that was good so. it's the lifeblood water i think I was- um and the whole sequence where the like compound is getting attacked i oh, was so like so surprised at how scary that was like that was mm-hmm. way more intense than i had any expectation of it being like just this moment where, like, you wake up and, like, everything is exploding. Yeah. Like, by mm-hmm. the time you even get out of bed, you immediately know, like, oh, we're fucking done. Like, this is I not, we're not going to fix this. This is not going to turn There's out There's this okay. amazing shot where they drop all the bombs yeah. and they've blown up all of the spaceships. And you just see all of the soldiers just standing there while everything burns. Like, they're all up. They're all here. They're all ready. And there's nothing that they yeah. can do. Like, it's so, it's so good. And, you know, that moment when the bagpipes kick up, like, really in earnest for the first time, when it's yeah. Josh Brolin, yeah. like, leading all the guys. They're, like, running out there, and it's just, like, planes dropping bombs. Like, what are they gonna yeah. do? Like, they, and the fact that they're out there, like, running and, like, trying to figure something out is so, like, scary and sad and weird. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so, it feels, and like, happening. sincerely, like hopeless in a way that is is Mm -hmm. really really frightening to me yeah yeah it was intense it's this is an intense film (laughs) it is i also like that they take i what this movie does that i feel like i don't know how dune in the book describes the shields but like it's a fan it's just a fantasy thing now that everything has shields right all the time they have shields and we all know what that means that means it's like an invisible kind of bluish silhouette (laughs) right and we just that those are what shields are like we just all accept that now but i like what i really like about this movie is the way that they use shields as a way of telling you like when someone has like been hurt like that like bluey outline that like flashes red like it's such a like a cool visual way to tell you what's going on in combat that could be complicated but like you can see 
everything that's going on and you know when someone fucking bites the dust right. like it's yeah, all I was like it's such a cool visually it's so cool when the bombs are dropping into the ships and the shields like catch it for a second and then the shields like flash right and break and then the bombs drop like it's and then so, the bomb goes off like inside so cool. the shield and the explosions like <laughs> yeah contained within and then, the like, shield it implodes and then explodes out yeah. it's so cool yeah it's so i do cool. think it's so funny to have like we've developed a technology where the shield will help you a little bit but if you get stabbed <laughs> in a, a in a in a place that will hurt you it'll tell you it'll say ooh you got right. slashed through the throat it's red now <laughs> you're like I know. Also, poison. I noticed. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah. We can't help we, you. We can't yeah. block the poison. The poison is it. What can you do? You need We're air. We're still figuring that one out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get through uh, it eventually. Did you guys watch the... Did you guys watch the clip I sent you from the David Lynch dune of the way the shields look in the in the David Lynch version? No. Oh I, I didn't see okay, that. It's, it's a hundred percent better than in the Denisville new version. I just gotta oh, say, interesting. They are like these CGI like polygonal boxes that come over them. <laughs> they look like Super Smash Brothers melee hit boxes. Oh my god! That they're like yeah. fighting within. They're like these big. They become these just like big rectangular prisms with like little cylinders that come out when their arms are moving, and it's. Awesome. It's so good. Oh my god. Uh I sent it to you guys in our group chat. You can look at it later. But that feels yeah. like I'll I feel like we out. talk about Star Wars and what we love about Star Wars is that everything feels old. Like in mm. Star Wars you have to hit something before it works. Like it right. feels like old technology, even though it's like new futuristic future <laughs> technology. Like it feels everything in Star Wars feels out of date mm. in its time, if that makes any yeah. sense. But this movie is interesting because we are in the far off future, but it's still based off of the present. So all of their technology like makes some level of sense, like looks a little bit like something that we have. Right. Like their helicopters still look like helicopters, but they're like dragonflying. They're a little bit different, but like it still looks like a helicopter, right. you know. Uh, but then like the like I don't know the shields are the one thing that, like, that looks hella futuristic. Like, that's, right. like, on another level. Like, we don't have anything like that. So to take the shields and kind of make it look like something that maybe that we would make, like, kind of looking like hitboxes <laughs> right. and, like, what we are able to do with technology kind of is cool and kind of makes sense. Like, if it looked like, if it looked like a CGI rig, like, on a human person, that would be kind of cool. Right. Like. Like that just that makes that makes sense to me, and like it kind of fits in cool with the aesthetic of the technology in this yeah. film. I always I think about um the the scene where the two of them are sparring Timothy Chalamet and and Josh Brolin, mm -hmm. and he's like old man, and they're like oh, and they have like a fun yeah. relationship, you know. That moment mm -hmm. is in you know it's a scene in the book, and it's in both of the adaptations where they're sparring, and he's like I got you, and he's like no, actually not really, because I would have killed you also. You weren't paying attention there. In the book. The knife is pointed at his nuts. Like, Gurney Halleck is like, I would have stabbed you right in the dick. And both <laughs> movies gotcha. chicken out and are like, got you in the belly. It's like, no, fuck off. Stab him in the dick. Stab Timothy Chalamet in the dick, would, Josh Brolin. With that question, would that kill you, though? <laughs> Eventually, probably. If you're in the fucking desert in the middle of did. nowhere. Right, yeah. I really did think... For a moment, when the when the when dad when dad man is naked with evil guy, I was like, is he gonna c 
cut his dick off? <laughs> like, it was, like, one moment. Because he started talking about, like, your son and your and your concubine. I was like, is he going to cut his dick off? Is that what's happening in this scene? What's going on? More dick stuff. In that was also, That's like, more there was, like, stuff, a please. one weird moment when they when jessica and paul is have escaped and they're putting their like uh what water suits back on and at one point right. he like turns mm. around he's like don't look and then he's like almost looks like he's gonna look at his mom and you're like what's <laughs> going on here why are you like well, no, this is weird because she turns around and she looks at him while he's changing yeah it's fine because it's his mom but what i thought was gonna happen is that we see his back and then us as the audience would see the mom's back and she's got like scars or tattoos or something. But then we just don't see her back. Right. So it was weird. Yeah. I don't know why we did it. Was, yeah. There was just like weird, like a weird tension that was there. And it was, I get was the like feeling that that was on purpose. I know. I mean, because but, there's it was also, definitely on purpose. Is there there's also the moment where dude? he's having, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know where it goes. It seems like the kind of thing that might be sort of explored in some weird way later. Yeah. But like, I there's also the moment that, where <laughs> there's also the moment where he's like having the dream about Zendaya, and Zendaya's like Paul, and his mom's like Paul, and it's like what? Like, it's very. I think yeah. it's definitely like something they're playing with on purpose. I'm not sure where exactly that goes or where that leads. Yeah, but I don't know. I agree. Like I think it was intentional, <laughs> but I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not her baby. We don't I don't know. Because, I've had know, enough I mean, incest. Uh, exp- I don't need it. In I don't my need fantasy, I think I'm good. I don't need on it. Yeah. I've seen. Yeah. I've seen. I mean, of the little, who can lay a kiss? I've seen it all. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> of the little bits and <laughs> pieces I picked up about, like the later Dune books, uh, like one of the one of the things I've gathered is that it's very, it's very like classic, like Greek, whatever. I told oh, that like God way later it. down the line. There's a, scene, there's a <laughs> there's a scene where like Paul Atreides is like old and like wandering in the desert and is so guilt ridden because of the war he created or whatever that he like plucks out his own eyes like something like that like oh, a very yeah, like very great. people don't pluck out their own eyes in any story that's written after anymore you know the book yeah. of Christ <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> what I was gonna say this is a little thing and I'm sure it'll be a plot point later where she's like I'm a week pregnant like how did you know that I'm pregnant yeah. like we're talking about like his like because he impregnated then they get her into, like six helicopter crashes <laughs> I don't think that baby he's gonna make it i'm sorry so your husband gets killed and your whole entire house um, gets blown master, up master not husband you get dropped out of a helicopter you have to go into another helicopter into so much g-force and a fucking tornado yeah, and that lands magic. and dehydrated she's drinking magic. your own spit the whole time i don't think that baby's she's gonna make ma- it she's magic <laughs> she's i'm also this is the most exciting piece of information i've gleaned which is that apparently Duncan Idaho is like the C-3PO of the Dune novels. But like, Jackson, that's a You said that. Because he split... Yeah. He he gets dead. Yeah, Doesn't I mean, he I don't die? know. That's him. S- potential spoilers for a movie that'll come out in eight years. Warning. Yeah, but... But, like, I've, so what I've gathered is that, like... I, I mean, Duncan Idaho's alive at the end of this movie. They have that, like... That like well, we have like flash that, well, forward. He has that vision of yeah. him being with the which I think people. is very much implying that he has survived this in some way. But also, yeah. like these books like take place like over the course of like a couple of generations, kind of Narnia style is what I've learned. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently, Duncan Idaho. 
becomes like the the base model for like a series of clones. So there are like a lot of Duncan Idaho. Just like around. artificial intelligence. That's pretty fun. <laughs> kind of like that, actually. So I that's still what I talk about that movie. That we're looking. We'll we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, it fits the premise. <laughs> of course it does. Very well. Uh, but uh, uh, that we're due for a lot of Jason Momoa's fighting a lot of other Jason Momoa's. If all yeah, goes according sick. to plan later in this franchise. That's uh, this franchise. It's, it's really set up to cycle through a lot of stars because, you know, oh, yeah. like we started oh, off yeah. with a this lot. A, and a lot of them kill. We're, yeah. are dead now. We, we should we should start wrapping up soon. But that is a, a phenomenon that I've been noticing more and more. Which is that, like, with the sort of, like, blockbuster Hollywood industry the way that it is right now, like, when you get, like, a big franchise blockbuster, like your new Jurassic Park or your new Marvel movie or whatever, they've always got stars in them. They've always got interesting actors. But they're, like, you know, they cast stars in the lead roles and they just fill out a cast in a normal way. Uh, But every once in a while... And it's happening especially, like, in the near future. There's a movie like this that seems like a really fresh and interesting movie that, like, is a director that people like working with. And the cast just gets so bananas bonkers insane because it just feels like everybody and their brother wants in on it, you know? And this is one of those movies. Like... Yeah, Thanos, this cast list, like, Willy Wonka, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Justice Oscar Isaac, League. Dave Bautista, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we got so many Marvel uh, people, we've got freaking Star Wars, <laughs> we have, like, there's just, everyone's in this, Star we got Wars. a Skarsgård, you gotta have at least one Skarsgård, there's, like, 20 of those guys. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> bouncing around. But uh, yeah. I think a lot about the new Adam McKay movie that's coming out on Netflix, uh, Up in the Sky. That's like a weird high concept political comedy sci-fi thing. I don't know. Have you guys seen that trailer? It looks no. weird. But that movie Sounds weird. is like Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, uh, Meryl oh, Streep. Like it's, oh God, I got to look up the cast list because it just like goes on and on and on. And the new David O. Russell movie that's like set in the 60s that we don't know anything about. That movie mm-hmm. has a cast that. Like, you can just read it forever and never run out of names that you recognize. Hold on. Um, I want to... It's so it's so surprising and wild. Like, it's important enough to me that I feel like I, I bring it up. Uh, so, David O. Russell was the guy who directed um, uh, American Hustle and Silver Linings Playbook. He's worked with Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But he's sort of, like, been in... In soft retirement for a little while, but he's like coming back with this big period piece that's being kept very secret. Here's the cast: Rami Malek, Margot Robbie, Robert De Niro, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Chris Rock, Taylor Swift, Anya Taylor Joy, Christian Bale, Timothy Oliphant, Michael Shannon, John David Washington, and Bonnie Hellman. Like it just goes and goes and goes. Taylor Swift be in movies after Cats? Are we just letting her continue <laughs> yeah, to do know. that? She's I'll let them do movies. anything. I'll let them do anything as long as I... And like... <laughs> no, keep going. These are like A-list stars. These are like... 
you know, yeah. like these are like big popular actors and there's like 20 of them. I stand behind movie. any movie with Michael Shannon. I stand behind every single one. Michael Shannon rules. I Michael think Shannon. Knives Out is absolutely one of these. Like, I think oh, yeah. people yeah. were really hungry to work with Ryan Johnson after Last Jedi. And he just got like everybody you could ever want. In, God, I freaking love Knives Out. It's so good. It's so good. I'm so excited so for the sequel. It's I'm still... Dave Bautista! <laughs> The sequel is, I'm so mildly upset that it's Netflix exclusive and I won't be able to buy the, the, the Blu-ray afterwards, but Netflix has, but then you get to make your own cool Blu-ray Jackson, but Netflix has been really good about putting their movies out in theaters this year. That's happening like over and over and over again. So I'll be happy to see it in theaters if, assuming they keep doing that into next year. I'll, Um, I'll, I'll gladly, I'll gladly give my money. And then I'll stream it when I get Absolutely. home. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, okay, we can start wrapping it up, right? Any final thoughts while I look for a review? Um, love the sandwalk. Think that's so fun. That's a cool. Good I love man. the sand worms. I love any worm content. More worm content, please, Hollywood. Give us more worms. The people want worms. <laughs> worms, worms, worms. And Timothy Chalamet with worms. Oh, my gosh. A match made in heaven. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet's got worms. Everyone likes We're worms. For it. Name one person who doesn't like worms. Timothy Chalamet got so into preparing for his role. He got, like, really into character. He got worms. <laughs> the end of the joke. Got, exactly. Exactly. That's the... Did you know... He went on some Jared Leto shit. He just got worms. Yeah. Actually, fun fact. Um, Ian McKellen played the sandworm. He's a, he, he's he a motion capture role. Sorry, I'm okay reading. <laughs> um, I'm excited for it's the second early. movie, I think. Um, sorry to the people who thought Zendaya was going to be a main character in this one. <laughs> yeah, no, not they quite. They did. Yeah. I will say, I Next think one, that. Next one, probably. Like, it's fair enough for people to be upset about this because she was heavily in the marketing for the movie. So, like, that's how they got yeah. the, like, youngs, the oh, Gen yeah. Zs well, yeah, to the end of the Zendaya movie. Zendaya brings them in. Yeah, they said the Gen Zs want to see mm-hmm. Timothy Chalamet and they want to see Zendaya. And then they freaking tricked them. They tricked them into seeing this movie and they got mad. And I think that's fair enough. Fair enough for them to get mad. Lies. I'm here for Oscar Isaac. Isaac Isaac Oscar. Oscar Isaac. I I too am here for Oscar Isaac, and I think Jason Momoa looks better with facial hair. He looked funky Mm -hmm. when he had no facial hair. What up with that? True, no beard in this. He sure did. And I do I do like the relationship between uh, Duncan Idaho and and Paul Atreides in the sense that like. They definitely are friends, but it doesn't feel weird, like, how much of an age gap there is between them. Yeah. Like, the way they talk Mm -hmm. to each other definitely feels like you're, like, younger cousin or whatever that, like, is an adult now Mm -hmm. and you're, like, excited to be able to actually talk to them and, like, be friends with them without being, like, we're actually best buds in real life. We hang out, which would be a little weird, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Which would be weird. Yeah. I feel Mm -hmm. like I have older brothers- and they have all of their friends, like, I'll see them sometimes, and they'll be like, oh, Keisha, you're a human now, like, a full adult, and that's weird. Yeah, exactly. Like, it definitely is those vibes where I'm like, yeah, but I've known you my entire life, so that's cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's, we can skip the plugs for today, because we're starting a whole new shit next week. Follow us on Twitter! Follow us on Instagram! We don't have an Instagram. 
We don't have an Instagram. Uh, Maybe I'll just take a second to talk about it for anybody who's listening. Maybe I should have said something up front. We're going to have a new name starting next week. Um, Everything's going to be mostly the same. It'll still be the same podcast feed. Uh, It'll still be, you know, the same Twitch channel. Uh, We're all getting plastic surgery. The YouTube channel will still be called No Nerds. Yeah, I'm making a really concerted effort to to put out some more YouTube videos in the next few weeks. I know I say that a lot, but... this is like a, a new start for us. It's hard, y'all. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, so so keep an eye on that YouTube channel. That'll still be called No Nerds Allowed. The podcast is going to be called Cool Takes starting next week. And next week, our, our sort of, I mean, not really our first episode because we've kind of done a few in the last month. But our first a official episode start. of Cool Takes will be next week. It'll be Shark Boy and Lava Girl with Satchel Heart Monceau of Cosmonaut yeah! Theater Pop. <laughs> who accidentally chose one of my favorite childhood movies. Yeah, exactly. So. We all I love mean, Shark Boy Lava Girl. <laughs> sooner or later. Uh, so that's coming up. Uh, so yeah, just keep an eye out. It'll be exciting. We've got at least one extremely exciting guest coming up uh, in the next month, uh, as well as a couple others th- that I'm courting. But um, other than that, uh, that's all. We're getting flowers. We're getting chocolate. And do you want to hear a one-star review of Dune? Is it the David Lynch sure. one or this one? No, I'm it's just kidding. One. It's the Denis Villeneuve one. Uh, <laughs> so this review comes from Letterbox.com. This person says, This movie gay as fuck. Crying laughing <laughs> emoji. Cat crying laughing emoji. Thumbs down emoji. <laughs> You can't call something gay as fuck and then use the cat crying <laughs> emoji. <laughs> oh, man. I That's just, all I have to say about the matter. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think the best response is no response in this case. <laughs> You know, I would argue this movie is a little bit too heterosexual. I'm yeah, see it's not a very gay here. movie. Everyone's straight no. and, or asexual. Like nobody, this movie's really. It's just gay not thing. a very. It's not a very sexual movie. It's not movie, a sexy you know? movie at all. Also, except for that one scene. Except for that one scene with Oscar Isaac. Am I right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, when he's dying. <laughs> yeah, when he's dying, it's hot as fuck. I do. Like, the man looks like a Greek painting. Are you <laughs> I kidding think there me? needs to be more tooth-related weapons, also. Like mm. I like instead of being yeah. like, here's a little pill that'll give you release poison gas. I instead I'm gonna die. give you yeah. a new tooth that will release poison <laughs> gas. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> my name's Jackson McMurray. My name is Adelaide. My McMurray. name is Keisha Rhodes. And this is No Nerds Allowed. Keep it, it saucy been, out there, sailors. It has been No it Nerds has been Allowed. Been no Nerds allowed. Was no Nerds and allowed. we'll see you later.